Does COVID have you feeling stalled at work? Cornell ILR Professional Education can help you get back on the road to career growth. Visit discover.ilr.cornell.edu to get started. all around us. It defines us. The future of work impacts nearly every person on our planet. And the ILR School at Cornell University is influencing policy and practice around the world. In this episode of Work, Exploring the Future of Work, Labor, and Employment, Dean Alex Colvin speaks with ILR alumnus and newly elected president of the NFL Players Association, J.C. Treader. Very pleased to welcome today uh, one of our alumni, uh, J.C. Treader, uh, who is the president of the NFL Players Association, and we're really proud to have a, a new union leader amongst our alumni. Uh, we've got a couple from uh, uh, long-standing uh, service, uh, Randy Weingartner, the teachers, and uh, Bruce Rayner, uh, back with uh, Unite uh, formerly, uh, but uh, glad to see J.C. Uh, amongst uh, that uh, group of proud alumni, so welcome very much. Thank you for having me. Great. So you've actually only been on the job a few months now, and uh, you're obviously coming into the job with a, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I'm sure this is uh, um, uh, quite a busy time for you dealing with all the things that have been happening with the collective agreement, but now with uh, the COVID-19 impacts, everything going on. Uh, but I was interested uh, to kind of uh, start off with uh, what drew you to getting involved with the NFLPA. Uh, were there any inspirations that you looked to? Uh, what, what drew you in? Yeah, I think obviously early on in my career, I wasn't a rep, uh, wasn't that involved with the union in a leadership level. Obviously, I, I understood what was going on and uh, stayed involved that way. Uh, but early on in my career, I, I had a lot of injuries. I broke both my legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it was trying to focus on making sure I could continue to be a professional football player first uh, and yeah. trying to, you know, earn a starting job and then stay in the league for, for a considerable amount of time. Then as time went on, I became more comfortable in my preparation, what it took to be ready, what it took to be healthy. Uh, I, I felt like I wanted to get more involved, obviously, with the ILR background. Uh, was something that I kind of went into college passionate about and then yeah. left and, and didn't really have a, a use for my degree right away. Right. Uh, and then, you know, I, I wanted to start getting more involved. So when I came over from Green Bay to the Cleveland Browns, I ran and became one of their union reps. And then this off season, once the season ended, I knew that our president was rolling off. This was his final term. Uh, and I made the decision, you want to, well, like I, I want to just run for, for president. And I kind of relate it for in football terms of, of not being a, a Monday morning quarterback anymore. And, yeah. and, you know, if there are things that you want to see changed or things you, you have ideas uh, instead of kind of sitting off on the sidelines and being like, man, I wish they would do mm-hmm. this. Instead, just like go do it and go get involved, and um, and that was something again. I I, you know, I enjoyed my my time learning about this stuff at Cornell, and I figured this would be a perfect time to kind of put it to use uh, while I'm still doing this kind of separate career and bringing the the ILR into that career. 
Yeah, I think it's something that people don't always realize is that becoming a union leader isn't like getting you know hired for a job like being a manager. You actually have to run to lead uh, the organization. It's like running to be like school class president or something. Right. Uh, what was it like uh, uh, running uh, for this elected position? Have you ever done anything like that before? No. So this was the first like election I've ever been involved <laughs> in. It, it was a really neat process. Uh, it was it was a tiring process. You go down. We have a, a yearly rep meeting in Miami, Florida. Uh, and we've got every team brings in their reps and their player leaders. So we've got about like 180 guys there. Each rep, each team has one voting rep. So you're going to have a, a, a vote of your 32 people are going to vote. Uh, and they kind of, you have to have the majority to um, gain the position. So you, we had four, four people running. We had three members of the executive committee who are on the kind of the, the high leadership council who are running. And then me, I was running as just a, a rep off the floor. So uh, eventually one of the EC members had dropped out of the election. So the, the three people left, we had to give like a five to 10 minute speech uh -huh. about kind of what we want to bring to the position. And then we separated into, I think like five or six rooms with five or six teams in each room with their okay. voting rep and then all their other team leaders and you just kind of round robin through the rooms for 20 minutes at a time. And they could just ask you any question at that time, the CBA was still being voted on. Yeah. So people didn't know whether it was going to pass, whether it was going to fail. So there was a lot of uncertainty of, you know, if this passes, who's the best person for this, if this fails, we have to go back to negotiate who's the best person to lead us. So there were, there were a lot of questions trying to figure out both if this passes, where do you take us from here? Uh, and if this fails, what, what's your strategy going back to the bargaining table with one year left on the, on the current deal? Yeah. And so, you, you know, you really have to get that support across from all your peers, right? This is you yeah. know, a collective decision they're making. Uh, you know, it was, it was really striking, you know, when you're talking about you know, the early part of your career and dealing with, you know, injuries and trying to make sure that you really had a career as a professional player. I mean, I think that must be one of the really challenging things with doing a CBA for, for the players is that you, you know, you've got the star players who, you know, uh, get a lot of attention. You know, we think of the Aaron Rodgers, the Russell Wilsons, right, with a sort of amazing contracts that they get, but, but you're representing a whole membership of, you know, people who, uh, you know, have shorter careers, right? You know, somebody's in the league for two or three years, maybe on practice squads earning much less money, and you're representing all of those. Um, can you talk about that kind of challenge, right? Because you've got to balance all of those uh, different constituents there. Yeah, that was something we especially focused on during the negotiations for this CBA, where we, we'd seen in the 2011 CBA, it kind of it, the the minimum salary players in the back of the end roster guys kind of got left behind yeah. in that previous deal and the, the other salaries kept growing at exponential rates but the minimum salaries weren't growing at that same rate as just the salary cap was growing uh, so people at the end of you know 10 years into the cba were making less as a percentage than people in the first year of the cba on minimum salary it wasn't growing at the same rate so we were we, we went into it thinking how do we remedy that and make it better for those players uh, and make sure we're not kind of having this huge differential between the stars and then the back of the roster guys. So we made sure we increased minimum salaries substantially uh, and we put a big focus on performance-based pay, which yeah. allows players who are performing at a higher level than their contract dictates uh, gets a bonus at the end of the season based off how, how productive and how many snaps they played. Uh, and putting more money into those programs helps those guys get a bigger boost in salary.
Yeah, it's pretty complex, right? What you do with this with this uh, CBA. I've used it sometimes actually in teaching in my classes as some examples. Students are always interested in taking a look through the uh, NFL uh, CBA, uh, but it's 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 pretty complex, and and you're dealing with a lot of players, right? You're mostly like young guys, right? You know, they don't have your benefits of having, you know, an ILR degree or actually study this stuff. You know, they could come out of any academic background. Uh, how do you help educate them? How do you help them understand what's going on um, with a pretty complex CBA and, and something that's going to really affect their whole life? This is their kind of prime earning opportunity. Yeah, there, there's a lot of unique issues that kind of professional athletes, especially football players with how short our careers are, have to kind of go through and deal with and just the kind of mentality of sport where yeah. for our entire lives through this, we've always kind of seen our coaches as the guys that are looking out for our best interests. And then it becomes your job. But for the last 15 years of your life, you've always seen kind of your boss now as like, oh, he'll protect me. Yeah. And it's like, no, yeah. like w the union protects you now. Yeah. And kind of retraining these guys' thought processes on kind of where your protection comes from, who your allies are in this business. So that's kind of a unique challenge uh, that probably other jobs don't exactly have to go through. Uh, and, and beyond that, the, the turnover is, is kind of a, a constant churn of not only players in and out of the league, our average career is three years long, yeah. um, but also players between teams. So you can have a rep on one team, the rep on the Browns, who gets cut and picks up by Seattle. Now the Browns have to find a new team rep. He's no longer a rep uh, at the Seahawks and, and you have to retrain the new rep on the Browns to understand all the information. And that happens on a yearly basis where it's just kind of a constant churn of guys. So I think that the main thing is communication and, yeah. and getting systems in place um, to get people the information they need in order to represent their players and get that information back to their teams in a timely manner. Yeah, that's a really striking stat when you're dealing with a, th a three-year average career, right? That, um, you know, how do you kind of uh, get people acculturated and sort of thinking thinking long, longer term? I mean, you know, I think back to when I was like, you know, just graduated from college, that kind of age, 21, 22, you know, I was still trying to figure stuff out and, you know, a lot of things coming at you, right? And, and uh, I'm sure that it's, it's, it must be such a dramatic transition going from, you know, the amateur world of the NCAA and, uh, you know, out of college to being uh, working for, for a business, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and being part of this industry of sports. Um, you know, maybe talk about how, you know, how that experience was for you and sort of thinking about that kind of transition. Yeah, it's the understanding that it's now your job and it's been your kind of after school activity and your kind of fun hobby for most of your life. And then the moment you sign that contract, you're an employee yeah. and you kind of have to understand um, the, that, that you're kind of almost an independent contractor and mm -hmm. you're your own business and that like you have to look out for yourself. But you also have, and this is another thing that's unique about our businesses, there's that balance of... I am still part of a team and you, know, you I put you, uh, there's a you know unique issues with being a rep in the NFL where you know, we have rules on how many hours you're allowed to be at the facility, how many how long your meetings are allowed, how long your practices are allowed to be. And now all of a sudden your coach comes to you and say like, "Hey, we really need to win this week. We need an extra like 30 minutes." And now you're sitting there, well, as a union leader, this isn't supposed to happen, but I also want to win this week. Yeah. So do I let it slide? And that's something that, that probably other, you know, th there's not that 
winning in kind of a normal business sense where you uh, think about bending the rules in those instances because your teammates are also need to win to keep their jobs and the coaches need to win to keep their jobs. And that's kind of an, an extra level of this, of, of understanding what kind of pulls on guys' um, emotions and thoughts uh, on how to best represent their players because people have different needs and interests and wants um, beyond just kind of sticking to the rules. Yeah. And, and I mean, you guys are, you know, yeah, you have those, you know, job career interests, but you also have your, your elite athletes and, you know, you're competitive. You want to kind of perform at the very highest level in a job that's, uh, that's physically dangerous, right? You're putting your bodies on the line in this job. I mean, you mentioned your own in- injuries and certainly, you know, the health and safety is part of it, right? You know, that question of how far do you push things? Do you, how quickly do you come back from injuries? All those issues are, are huge health and safety issues. You know, one thing I was, I was curious about is uh, you're, you're in an unusual situation r- right now. You're, you're in off-season, right? And I understand, you know, off-season, you're responsible for a lot of stuff yourself, right? And you have to uh, do your own preparation stuff. But this year in a very kind of unusual situation, how how's that been affecting you? How does that change this off-season and, and your personal preparation, all that stuff you do? Yeah, so we negotiated uh, a virtual offseason. So, you know, most most businesses had to go to some sort of virtual program. But obviously, you know, we're dictated by what's in the CBA and there's there's nothing to talk about what's going on this year. So we kind of had to negotiate from start what a virtual offseason would look like and, and what protections players needed. Because uh, usually when we go back to the facilities and work out, we're protected in case we get hurt at the facilities. Usually when we're away from the facilities, if we get hurt, we're on our own. We don't have like an insurance kind of thing, like insurance. Yeah, Yeah. right. So we have non-football injuries and football injuries. If you're training on your own, you you don't get treated as a football injury, even though you're preparing to play football. Right. Um, So this was one where, you know, if teams were going to require a workout in order to get paid, then we fought that then that has to be a football injury because he's doing his job for you. Um, But but that's kind of the unique issue we go with where in our contracts, it says we have to kind of be in shape and ready to play at all times. But also we're not covered in case we get hurt doing that when we're away from the facility. So it's kind of a, uh, you know, a confusing difference there. Uh, But that was something in this virtual offseason that we made sure to fight for because if guys were going to train on their own, especially with gyms closing down, we knew guys were going to have to kind of makeshift workouts uh, that we wanted to make sure if guys needed or had to do this in order to get paid, that they were protected in case they got hurt. Yeah, right. So some of the guy gets like, you know, a sort of season ending injury or something, it's going to torn pack or, uh, you know, so, you know, is running pops his hamstring. That way he's protected and doesn't, you know, lose paychecks because of it. Yeah, right. Because, uh, uh, yeah, and if you think of only a limited window of a career, right, if you're thinking like, you know, some of us, somebody's got a three or four year career and one of those years is gone because of this offseason injury, that, that has a huge impact financially, right, for the player. Right, right. absolutely. When we think about um, this coming season, um, that's going to be, you know, probably, uh, you know, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but, you know, it's going to be uh, different from uh, previous, uh, previous seasons. How's the, uh, how's the uh, association thinking about uh, the planning for the coming season, uh, your role in there, your priorities? Yeah, this has been going on for, for two months now and trying to provide a safe workplace. And that's, first off, the employer's job. They have to 
provide a safe workplace for the employees. Uh, but obviously, we want to kind of have a, a voice in that and, and make sure they're up to up to our standards of what a safe workplace is, and making sure they they define what how they see a safe workplace. Uh, and that's been kind of a, a long process so far. We've we've been working together with the NFL on it with joint task forces. Uh, bringing in expert medical opinions on on different issues from testing to mitigation strategies, um, cleaning and PPE, uh, just kind of looking at each issue uh, and the best way to protect their guys. But but that's the the one thing I think people look at this virus and, and look at football players and athletes in general as kind of indestructible robots of, oh, like yeah. they're those iron men who, you know, they go out there every Sunday and, and get battered and bruised. So like, they'll be fine. Just put them out there again. Uh, but the virus doesn't exactly work that way. And, and we're in, you know, some of the, the best shape in, in the world. Uh, but we have players with underlying conditions that, that make the risks of getting this virus higher. We've got people with sleep apnea, asthma, high BMI, all kind of indicators of having really poor results with, with this virus. And not only that is we've got players who either live or have elderly parents that live with them or they have a wife or kid with autoimmune deficiencies. And, and those are all issues that could be, you know, very problematic in the world of, of COVID-19. Yeah. And, and trying to make sure we provide a safe workplace as well as answers for all their questions. Uh, it's, it's not an easy or short process. There's a lot of work that goes into that of making sure everybody's safe. Yeah, I think it's, it's such an important point that, you know, there's both the direct effects on on the individual, but then, you know, their surrounding family and community um, is, you know, an essential part of the equation here with, uh, with COVID-19, that what we do in the workplace affects the community we're embedded in. You know, we're obviously dealing with that as a university, thinking about how do we safely bring back uh, students to campus, you know, both worried about students because there are some, you know, with um, with conditions that make them more vulnerable, but then also the broader community, the people in the local who work in local shops, you know, restaurants, all those people, they're, uh, you know, vulnerable too uh, because this is a this is kind of a collective thing. We're all in we're all kind of in that together. One of the things that's been interesting, you know, in the COVID nineteen pandemic is is um, there's been different responses across different sports. Um, so you know, the NBA was kind of prominent early on with a number players uh, testing positive uh, early on but all the different sports have been dealing with it and dealing with it in different ways and you know like the national women's soccer league is going to be the first up and running with a, a tournament out in format out in utah uh, do you guys look at what other sports are doing and kind of think about that how, how those kind of comparisons are made yeah, it's, a, it's a, a minor advantage of we still have time and we can kind of watch almost test runs go. Now, the difference is I would probably say the sport of football was almost made to transmit this virus. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, different than baseball or even basketball. I mean, when you're in the trenches, you are a foot away face to face breathing on each other, which is literally the worst thing you can do yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a virus. Um, right. So, so that's kind of the, the thing that we'll never get a true answer of, of how do you help that situation. But looking at other people's protocols and, uh, and what other people are kind of thinking about definitely helps our situation. But we do have some unique issues that we have to kind of deal with on our own. 
I'm, I'm sure playing playing us alignment, uh, you're particularly conscious of that, right? I mean, you guys are very close to each other. Uh, right. Yeah. There, there's there's not a play that there's not some sort of spit or breath on my face from somebody else, and you know, you do that 65, 70 times a game. You know, that's a lot of exposure if that person's sick. So another uh, big issue that uh, we think of as well, you know, that's been really prominent off the field as well is, and that's been really coming up even more intensely uh, during this period, is uh, the issues around the Black Lives Matters protests. Obviously, uh, you know, the NFL had been at the center of this over the last few years with Colin Kaepernick's protests, um, you know, taking the knee. Uh, that was a huge part of the national conversation uh, before uh, the latest uh, wave of concerns. Uh, the NFL PA obviously has to deal with this. Um, this is an issue. You know, you've got uh, a work a membership of your union that's, you know, I believe close to 70% uh, black players. Uh, so, you know, it really is affecting them very directly. Um, you know, in an industry with a majority of management's white. Uh, how do you see the role of the NFL PA, um, you know, in this time? Uh, you know, what, what's, what's the NFLPA's role and contribution here? Yeah, the first is making sure we protect our players' rights. So when when this first started going uh, with the kneeling, the NFL tried to unilaterally impose uh, restrictions and rules and punishments for people who knelt, uh, and we had to file a grievance because we, that, you know, that's not how this works. You can't just yeah. unilaterally impose things in a, in an agreement. So we fought for that and, and fought them off of that to make sure our players continued to have their rights uh, to do what they want and to raise awareness how they want. And then the next is continuing to work to provide opportunities for players to, to get involved and, and, and promote their their brands and, and their uh, platforms. And, and in the last three weeks or four weeks now, I think guys have really become more aware of just how powerful their platforms are. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, you had the video go out of a lot of our star players, um, and a day later, the commissioner responds, um, and it just shows, you know, when our voices are united around a cause, just how much, how much that carries weight. And I think players have really started to truly understand. Uh, that they have a platform that they've earned through through the work they've done uh, on you know in the football world and and don't just stick to sports don't just stick to uh, just uh, football and instead use that platform to branch out into other uh, topics that you're passionate about and that you want to see change in the world and use your voice accordingly. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it was a really important point about the. Uh, the role of protecting players' rights of expression. Um, you know, I mean, there's obviously people debate, you know, the particular expression that you're making, right? But there's that fundamental thing of, you know, your rights at work. And and that's, you know, a big part of what the con- what a contract does. Um, and having, you know, a grievance procedure and arbitration, um, you know, you can, you know, disagree about the results. You know, I remember uh, getting heated debates about the, uh, the, the flight gate uh, arbitration and some like, classes, which, you know, students seem to, you know, uh, go uh, different directions depending on what they felt about the Patriots, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, trying to make the point that, you know, okay, that's fine, but, but, you know, you've got a process there to protect the player's rights, right? You know, grievances, arbitration, right? right. Uh, that's, you know, whether you agree or not, right? Somebody's got to have a fair way of uh, deciding whether your rights are violated. Absolutely. People people do often look to to sports. Um, you know, uh, particularly younger people uh, look to it for kind of inspiration. Uh, you know, 
people people take something for it in terms of is standing for um, and that brings communities together. Um, how do you uh, see the NFL Players Association as an organization, you know, uh, fitting into that kind of role where people look to uh, to sports as role models and uh, inspirations for how how things are done? Uh, how does how does that responsibility uh, play for you? Yeah, I think kind of two two different ways of looking at that. First, I, I kind of look at this as a union issue in that I see the NFL Players Association, though we have differences from other unions, I still see us as part of you know, all the other unions and what they're fighting for. And, and all unions are fighting for you know, better pay, better benefits, better work rules, better safety measures. Uh, and we're also in that same fight. And we may be talking about different issues that you know, not our, you know, aren't that classic to what a normal workplace looks like, but we're kind of all fighting the same fight. Uh, and we should kind of look at each other still as, as, you know, union brothers and, and, um, understand that we're all, all fighting for the same things and, and we should support each other for the same way. Uh, you know, the, the, the next step of that is, you know, people kind of looking to us when it comes to getting back to work and, and bringing that normal normalcy and uh, bringing that inspiration and, and kind of people want to watch football again. Uh, and I think we want to play football again. I, you know, I, I think that kind of gets lost in translation sometimes with all these um, fights that are going on with uh, even the money aspect, but also the safety measures and, and trying to come to agreements in baseball and basketball and football. Uh, I think it gets lost in translation that, oh, like they, they don't want to play. Like they're just trying to duck out of it. Like we want to play, but also like we want to be safe and healthy and we want our families to be safe and healthy. We want the communities to be safe and healthy. Uh, and, and that kind of battle needs to happen in order to guarantee that safety, uh, safety and health. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, you know football's always been a deep part of the national fabric in America. You know, people look to it for a lot of inspiration, but you know, I think they could really take a lot from looking at the NFL uh, Player Association, what it's done as a union, and and the collective agreement that you guys have negotiated. You know, it's been uh, uh, you know I know a battle for you each time to get a good collective agreement, but uh, you know, it does a lot to protect um, protect players who are I think more vulnerable than people realize, right? You know, putting mm. their lives on the line and putting you know their careers are on the line um, when they go out to work. And I think that's something, you know, we talked about the issues with pay and the disparities we have in our, in our ranks with pay. Uh, I, I think the safety aspect, health and safety is what unifies us all and needs to be our unifying factor uh, because that impacts no matter how much you're getting paid, uh, how healthy you are when you leave this game uh, is going to be the same throughout and making sure we're continuing to fight for, for better health and safety. And, and it, you know, originally health and safety, uh, meant on the field. Now with this virus, it takes a yeah. different definition. But that that's something you look at the 2011 CBA when we got rid of joint practices during training camp, or not joint practices, uh, two-a-days, two-a-day practices in, oh, yeah. um, in training camp. And we got rid of that. And it was a huge change where people who, who participated in those before and after said, you know, my career was extended at least three years because I didn't go through those joint practices anymore. Uh, and I don't think the health and safety debate ever can stop happening. We can never sit back and be like, you want to know what? I think we've done enough. Let's see where we look like in 10 years. That, that can never be okay. And it has to be a continuing push to get safer and get healthier. And, and ideally, you know, what I want to fight for is I don't want guys to want to play this game because they love it and they've, they've wanted to do this their entire lives. And by playing it, they've chosen to sacrifice the back half of their life for the front half of their life. 
and, and we see the the awful stories and the kind of devastating effects uh, that football's had on on players of the past. And, and ideally, we'd love to get to a world where guys aren't forced into making that decision of you know I've I've chopped years off my life and good years off my life of spending time with my family after I'm done. And it's a, it's a tough weight to carry, but that's why the conversation is so important. And that's why it has to be something we fight for every single day. Well, I, th- I think that's a great lesson for workers in general. Uh, you know, health and safety is, is really a fundamental thing that, you know, we all should have entitlements to as workers. And, and it's a long process and, and bargaining it out and, and keeping attention to it, uh, you know, is a way that you can make sure that you know, people have a safe workplace that we think we all want. Well, thanks very much, JC. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you uh, today, and uh, I want to wish you good luck uh, with uh, the upcoming preparations for the upcoming season. You know, I know that you guys are working hard there, and uh, I think people take a lot of inspiration from that. So uh, uh, thanks very much, and I really appreciate uh, all you had to say today. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Work. You can subscribe to our podcast at work.ilr.cornell.edu or on iTunes. Do you have a recommendation for a guest or topic to be discussed on a future episode? Just click on the link in the show notes of this episode and leave your suggestions. Again, thank you for listening.